Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. This is a bonus episode from part five of our new series after Putin. It features former US ambassador to Russia Michael McFall and he discusses whether the West and Russia are natural enemies or whether they can coexist with peaceful relations. To listen in full just click the link in the episode description or search after Putin on Apple Podcasts to find a dedicated podcast feed for the series. And don't worry, if you don't use Apple, visit intelligencesquared.com slash membership to support our work and get access to the series that way. Thanks again for all your support. Now let's go to the episode. Good evening and Merry Christmas to all Americans across our great country. During these last few months, you and I have witnessed one of the greatest dramas of the 20th century the historic and revolutionary transformation of a totalitarian dictatorship, the Soviet Union, and the liberation of its peoples. President Putin's spokesperson uh, has been speaking, blaming the United States for the alleged drone attack on the Kremlin, saying that the decision was executed by Kyiv, but taken in Washington. Michael, this series is called After Putin, but take us back to the time before Putin and the fall of the Soviet Union. Was it similar to now in terms of the uncertainty about what could come next? Well, the periods leading up to the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991 was a volatile time. Uh, it was a period of mobilization uh, inside Russia and, by the way, the other republics of the Soviet Union as well. And there was mobilization of pro-democratic force forces, but there were also mobilization of neo-communist forces and neo-nationalist forces. Uh, there were uh, coup attempts, August 1991 being the most famous one, but threats and worries about coup attempts uh, during that period. And I think that's an important thing to remember that uh, Russia and the Soviet Union have experienced times of political change before. And it always hasn't been inevitable how they've ended. Um, I, I hear a lot these days that, that Russia and Russians are always one way and always thinking one way. And most certainly it feels that way right now after Putin's been in power for 23 years. And it appears that there is major support for his barbaric, horrific, horrible invasion of Ukraine right now. But if you look over the last 30 years, uh, you see much more volatility both regarding uh, leadership inside the Soviet Union and Russia and what they wanted to do with the West and regarding preferences in society. So the idea that it's been a steady state and they've always been against the West, uh, against the democracy, against uh, sovereignty of Ukraine, that's just not true. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, had a different approach. Boris Yeltsin, the first president of Russia, had a different approach. Uh, without Boris Yeltsin and the democratic movement inside Russia, for instance, I don't think you would have had the dissolution 
of the Soviet empire that led to uh, the sovereignty, the restoration of sovereignty of countries like Ukraine. Uh, but then Putin came along uh, and changed that trajectory. But all of those leaders were Russians uh, and, and not all of them followed the, the, the pathway that Putin has charted right now. And take us back to the coup attempt of 1991. How similar was that to the Prigozhin mutiny that we've just seen? Or is that completely different, completely different set of circumstances? Well, it was it was mostly different in that the leadership at the top in the Soviet Union at the time, Mikhail Gorbachev, was trying to, to uh, you know, bring his country into better relations with the West. Obviously, the exact opposite is true with Mr. Putin. Second, as he did that, as things became more volatile, he did pivot to more conservative forces. I think people forget that that at the end of 1990, if, I, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, his very pro-Western foreign minister, Shevardnadze, uh, resigned. And he said that the government that Putin had surrounded himself with was conservative uh, and rolling back reforms and rolling back the pro-Western uh, trajectory that the Soviet Union had been on. And he was right about that. Eight months later, in August 1991, those conservative forces inside Gorbachev's government were the ones that tried to lead a coup against Gorbachev. That's what happened in August 1991. During that period, that's when you saw the use of armed forces uh, in the Baltic republics and people were killed. And it felt like they were moving in a much more conservative direction. And there were groups uh, Victor Alksnes is one that comes to mind uh, that he's still around. Vladimir Zhirinovsky is another, a neo-nationalist leader that were saying that the, the Moscow needed to be stronger and crack down. Some of the arguments that you've heard uh, from Mr. Prigozhin about the war in Ukraine. But the biggest difference, of course, was that you also had pro-democratic forces that were mobilized at the time. That's what's really missing inside Putin's Russia today because he's arrested their leadership, uh, tried to kill some of them, uh, exiled many more. And that's a force that was uh, prominent and powerful in the Soviet Union in August, uh, especially August 1991, that is not there in Putin's Russia today. And I wanna talk more about the current moment, but one more question on that time. I've seen you write in other places that the West didn't do enough in the early 90s to to help those democratic forces in Russia. Was there a bit of an attitude, you know, especially in the US, we won the Cold War, Russia lost. We don't really need to help out them or think about Russia anymore. Well, in my view, we didn't do enough and we missed a, a, a golden opportunity uh, to avoid what we're seeing now with Putin's Russia. And I know it's hard to play the counterfactual. We don't know for sure, it's hard to say, but I compare it to the end of World War II. Uh, after World War II, we made a decision that build it, rebuilding Germany and Italy and Japan, uh, our enemies in World War II, was in America's national interest. And we did so because there was a lingering threat, the Soviet Union at the time. And we thought that consolidating uh, democracies, consolidating uh, capitalist economies there would be good for our security. And that's exactly what I think we should have done 
1992, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, we had people ruling in Russia that wanted to work with us. Boris Yeltsin and his people wanted to work with us. They were willing uh, partners. And we did some things. I've written books about this period, uh, but we most certainly didn't do enough. I think had we moved in in a big way, a kind of Marshall Plan for Russia in the early 1990s and helped to consolidate democracy and lessen the impact of the very difficult economic transition from a command economy to a market economy, uh, and, and that Russia was closely in partnership with Europe today, that would have made much less likely the rise of a leader like Vladimir Putin. Um, and so I, you know, we've made mistakes. Uh, most certainly the Russians uh, have themselves to blame. They made the biggest mistakes themselves. But I think a much more concerted effort to bring them in to Europe, to bring them into the West, to bring them into the democratic world at the time, uh, might have helped us to avoid the tragic situation that we're in today. One sort of narrative you hear in the media is that over the course of lockdown, something changed in Putin. Uh, he may have been reading various philosophers like Ivan Ilyin, who may have motivated or persuaded him to do what he did in terms of the invasion of Ukraine. Do you think, do you think something changed in Putin in the last few years, or has there always been that sort of empire-based, Tsarist-type mentality? Well, it's a great question, and it's hard to answer because I'm not in touch with Mr. Putin directly, and not many other people are, too. So it's a guessing game we're all playing. Uh, the way I look at it, my guess is, is uh, two factors, I think, are critical. Thanks for listening to this episode of After Putin. To hear the full episode, click the link in the episode description or search After Putin on Apple Podcasts to find a dedicated podcast feed for the series. And don't worry, if you don't use Apple, visit intelligencesquared.com slash membership to support our work and get access to the series that way. This episode was produced and edited by me, Connor Boyle. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next, who we should have on, what our future podcasts should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com.